but it enabled me to balance my executive role with family and flex my muscle outside of the HR specialisation. And I think that's really important because you get really pigeonholed quite quickly if you're a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. And a not-for-profit is a brilliant place to start to flex your muscle into other parts of a business. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. So why don't we start by telling the listeners about your career story and what led you to eventually be an entering executive? Oh, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Um, so it's a wandering story. I guess um, in thinking about this, I really think I've got two trays that have been there from the beginning and they're my strengths and I've just played to them whether I've consciously done it or not. So my key strengths as a person are that I'm really imaginative and I'm actually quite independent. And so in the interim space, I think those strengths come to play. So back in the start, I was going to be an artist. I was going to be a studio artist. I wasn't going to be an executive. Wow, that's <laughs> a very big change. <laughs> yeah, well, my entire family are actually quite creative. You know, they're musicians or writers or what have you. So, And I was good at art, so that's what I concentrated on and wanted to go and do that when I left school but I didn't I went off and I went to university and um, followed the advice of my academic father do a broad-based undergraduate degree and everything that you want to be um, interested in and that will see you through and then you know concentrate on something in your postgrad years <laughs> so I did that's great um, advice I think it is I think it's really smart advice for young people today so many of the degrees are really vocational and I think it stops you from learning about life and the world and wondering about stuff. So I did a bachelor's in um, psychology. That was my start and then um, and then did a, a foray into law and realised when I was a lot of the way through my law degree and most of the way through my psych degree that actually I didn't want to be a lawyer, <laughs> so I gave it away. But some of the things that have happened across that time are that I know that I'm really good at design and so I see patterns and I see trends. I have a good sense of proportion and putting things together in sort of new and different ways, which comes from the art background, I think. And I also recognise very early on, even as a small child, that I was a, a natural leader. So I was sort of the, um, the one at the middle of the mischief. Mm -hmm. And that sort of continued on. Um, and, and I guess the other thing that has helped with my career is that my parents travelled internationally every two years. So I've got very good at arriving somewhere, fitting in very fast and then leaving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's um, why I say I'm quite independent. So if we if we then progress into work, in my career, which I entered the workforce, I'm going to say, was 1993. Mm -hmm. uh, it was at, towards the end of a major economic downturn. And I was really lucky to get a contract with a science business to, to put in a new performance-based pay system. 
But what was great about that, apart from the people, they were amazing. I actually got to work with some really foundational men in my career in that they sponsored me in my formative years. A guy called John Palmer, who was the general manager in um, Landcare Research in New Zealand, as it was then, it's not now, a guy called Gary Dyack. And they both decided that they were going to teach me everything that they knew about strategic management. And they really nurtured me and were formative in getting me my next job, where I met a, a CEO called John Barnford, recognised that you know I had some ability and the three of them set me on my path. They really did give me confidence in myself and gave me opportunity to work on things that leveraged my strengths and gave me some good counsel. So I ended up in Australia. John Barnford was the CEO at AMI Insurance in, in Christchurch, which now, of course, it no longer <laughs> exists, which is unfortunate. But he was an Australian, so encouraged me here. And I came here in 1999. Melbourne, was it Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sort of did a bit of a... a around and decided that Melbourne was probably the most exciting city <laughs> for somebody who likes art and, and culture and had travelled. And I'd have to say the number of immigrants in Melbourne really attracted me. It was like the world had come to me instead of yes. me having to travel everywhere. And I worked for a company called Norwich Union. Again, I was in an HR role. So my profession is HR management. That's my specialisation. Mm -hmm. And I guess most of the time I had looked at roles that were navigating business transformation and change. So specifically looked for that when I arrived in Melbourne. Um, anything that was um, going to be disruptive, complex or involving lots of business change, that's where I wanted to play. Now, I guess I guess the first disruption to my career, which had been going in a linear path, happened in Norwich Union because I found out I was pregnant two years after arriving here with my first child. And back in the day, they decided I wasn't taking my career seriously. So oh wow! Terminated my employment for the reasons of pregnancy. Wow, <laughs> really? really? Could they do that back in what? What no. was it? Two thousand and one. No, 2000. No, no, you couldn't, but lots of people did. I was one of several women affected by that back then in the company. So it was, you know, just going on like that. But it did mean that I was able to really think about how I could balance um, working as well as having the children and started um, thinking about contracting and consulting. And that sort of led on a an iterative journey that was experimental, but actually has got me everywhere that I've gone now. I didn't know it at the time. It was a bit of a panic, but it's worked out quite well in that we, we track on a little bit further and I got the opportunity to work as an executive in a um, medical research company in genomic sequencing, which of course mm -hmm. is really important now. <laughs> and that enabled me to really balance um, working uh, it was a part-time exec role because it was a small not-for-profit, but it enabled me to balance my executive role with family and flex my muscle outside of the HR specialisation. And I think that's really important because you get really pigeonholed quite quickly if you're a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. And a not-for-profit is a brilliant place to start to flex your muscle into other parts of a business because the budgets are, you know, not quite as big as they are in the for-profit sector, but you actually have to be really commercial 
than a not-for-profit. You have to be really good at it. So I got involved in lots of different things, including a business review. And that business started very fast because it was hugely disrupted by next-gen sequencing coming on new technology. And that company was the first to house that technology. So we were having massive growth rate, which is actually a really hard, strategically a hard position to be in because you've got all these options and ambiguity and uncertainty. It's much easier if a business is struggling because there's only one thing to focus on. But in massive growth, it's all over the place. So it's a yeah. major project and mm. all the moving parts. That all the moving parts, yeah. yeah. So for me, that was a foundational role mm-hmm. because I learned that one of the things that I'm really suited to and now look for is complex sectors where the problems are really ambiguous and there's heaps of disruption. Yeah. I really look for that because I know that I'm good in that space. And and it goes back to that yeah. whole pattern design independence thing. Yes, I love that. You're a very visual person and, and I am too. I've done uh, the character strengths test. I would recommend everyone can do it. It's free, it's online. And I think it's my t- first or second is appreciation of art and beauty. And I was raised by a musician. So I, I get what you mean. I think it that does influence you. In fact, I didn't realize it until I was much older, how much of my mother I had in me, you know, yeah. that sort of yeah. creativity, imaginative. I understand yeah. that. Did you look back and then realize you had been an interim executive all along because I remember going to Watermark and doing consulting for them and they you may have participated in one of these sessions that they do there Watermark being you know uh, experts in interim management brokerage so they find mm-hmm. people like you opportunities mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and they, they sit down and they do this information sessions to explain to people what interim management is mm-hmm. and half the time people say oh I've been doing that all along. I didn't know there was a name for it. Hmm. Is that hmm. something that you realized afterwards or did you do it strategically and said, no, I want short-term opportunities. I want to have more flexibility to raise my my child. Because that was way back. So I'm very, you know, curious yeah. to know what, what the strategy was for you. Well, I would say yes and no. I would say that if I look back now, and I was talking to my younger self, bearing in mind that interim executing wasn't really known as a thing, I would say you're naturally inclined to that. But I was trying to find my niche. If I would describe myself now, if I was to describe myself as an executive, I might be, I like to have an issue that I'm trying to solve. And I, and I was, you know, I have always liked to work with a visionary CEO and board wanting to look at things differently. So I've become a a bit of a conviction executive, I think, in my older age. (laughs) And so actually the the interim space allows you to do that because I guess the interim space, they're hiring you for what you know to solve a problem for a period of time. It's not for everyone. It's It's not a job that everyone can handle. I think there are some specific things that make you more inclined to it than not. And I think you have to start you have to be at peace with uncertainty and you have to be able to cope with the volatility you know sometimes you'll be so so busy that you won't even know how you're going to get through it all Mm. 
especially given that I have a portfolio career. So everything seems to come at once and it can be feast and famine. And there'll be other times where you wonder if you're ever going to work again, (laughs) you know, and you think, oh, my God. So I guess I've got some coping mechanisms for that. And the most important one and the most important tip if you're thinking about doing this is that you have at least six months worth of household expenses and a bank is afloat Mm. because you know that I've got six months of cost of living covered and that, takes the the immediate stress away. Excellent. Um, That's the right way of thinking about it. Even I think if you're fully employed permanently in a very cyclical sector like mining, for example, which is very common in Australia, but who knew other sectors like now tourism, who knows when tourism will bounce back. There are so many other sectors and I think the pandemic has really opened our eyes to the the importance of having that runway, that that savings, you know, there when you need it. And I think it's actually really um, salutary advice even if you're in an executive career because, you know, there's so many executives that find themselves the victim of um, behaviour and restructuring and all sorts and suddenly you're out of a job and it takes a long time to get another one. Mm -hmm. I guess the other thing that I would say about my approach to interim executing that is different perhaps than what a lot of people hear is that I don't consider it to be an in-between gig thing or um, avoidance behaviour, you know, where you're, you're trying to, you know, find something else to do I've always developed it as a really purposeful thing for my career so from from the get-go from back in the day when I was working in my first job those three men said to me you're going to be a CEO one day that's what you're going to be and I and and they explained why and it sort of made sense so from you know 1995 onwards that's what I've been working towards and as an HR executive it's not common I mean most CEOs are CFOs I don't think they should be and I particularly don't think they should be now um, once we've seen what's happened with COVID I think that having an understanding of human behavior and people and systems and how an organization all fits together is just crucial rather than just just concentrating on the numbers. I guess if you, for me, the the interim executive stream in my portfolio is really serving a very deliberate purpose. And the very deliberate purpose that it provides me is playing in new sectors, meeting new people, working on new problems, because those are all transferable bits of knowledge that goes somewhere else. You're really Um, building a portfolio. I'm building a true portfolio. It's been happening in stages over years. But what it also allows to have happen is that you, you know, I I deliberately move. I do maybe two or three years in an interim space and then I move across and I go into a permanent job for a period of, you know, four or five years or something Mm -hmm. like that because it's a step change you can't you know for me it's it's important to have the curiosity and the variety of the interim role but then to go and consolidate that for a period of time in a permanent job is really important and I think the value of working with the brokers like the watermarks of the world is that if you share that with them they enable that sort of um, approach to happen so they know what my career plan is mm-hmm. and they are looking for opportunities for me to fulfil it. Now, as an HR executive, I needed to close some gaps. And the gaps that I needed to close were around the financials and the risk and all the things that a CFO does that I wasn't getting access to. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started working towards getting my directorships on boards. Yes. And deliberately, deliberately got onto finance and audit. 
Yes, so right. Finance and audit. Seeking it out to yeah, yeah. build your portfolio. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, close the skill gap and work with, you know, a lot of the people who are on, sitting on finance and audit in boards are the CFOs. Yes. So sitting alongside one and saying, well, can you explain the balance sheets and the P&Ls and the, you know, what am I looking at here? How does it fit into a funding model? So post-2006, where I was in the medical research side, I, I knew that I loved the not-for-profit space. And I knew that I liked health, not just acute health. So the first directorship I had was on a regional hospital board and working in medical research, that opened my eyes to the broader impact of the health sector. And, and of course, it's a really big and important sector now. But a government board does, like a health board, is that they have excellent governance education and they're very, very supportive with lower, lower risk to directors. So, And they often advocate for women as well. Mm-hmm. So you get a really good grounding, a really solid grounding that's a good start. Yeah. I love all of that. And I think this will be so good for others to hear because so many people have, first of all, they have no idea that you can have a career like that, but also people have this old fashioned view of having a linear career when Mm. sideways to the top is, you know, such a great strategy and you're using it so well. How do you get those opportunities, you know, the entering management jobs and other income generating opportunities to fill up your time and showcase your expertise? Well, I think there's a couple couple of ways. Obviously, I have close working relationships with the brokers. Mm -hmm. Watermark obviously is one, but you know, there's also other um, excellent brokers like Amira Partners and Fisher Leadership and Brooker Consulting in Melbourne. Now, I mention them only because most of the players inside those businesses have worked together before in their career history. And so because they know each other and they all know me, they look out for me for all sorts of opportunities because you don't know where a client's going to land. And so it's a very cooperative space. It's a very, um, but you have to treat those people that are looking out for you with respect as well. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to give back to them as much as they're giving to you. And I think that, that being genuine with your connections is the other way that I get leads and, and work. So the thing I would say is um, getting back to my point about interim exec, it's not a part-time job. I am a business. You know, I view myself as a business and I have various streams of revenue, but I rely on my connections and and the work that I deliver to get leads and then um, referrals and and pieces like that. I don't actively network. I hate it because I'm, you know, just not really inclined to it. But what I do do is I introduce people that I know to each other. So if I know if I know you, Renata, and I know what you do, and I know somebody else who might benefit from knowing you or the other way around, then I'll introduce you to, to them. And that starts to happen back. And mm-hmm. I also deliberately, it's not a, a marketing thing, it might be social, but I'll deliver, deliberately host social events, but like, you know, a lunch or a dinner or a bit of a soiree or something like that, and get people I know together who might never have met, but they do meet and then I see the relationship flourish into business or 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 a friendship or all of the above. And that's what I do. Um, I'm a bit of a wallflower, so I actually really enjoy watching everybody, you know, the energy develop in the room. But because of that, it comes back. And I think that those are the ways that I get work. People 
like working with me and I like working with them and the community grows. I think the other thing I, I do is I use social media now. I'm not a rabid self-promoter on social media, but I do, if I've got something I'm interested in, I want to talk about, or it's an area that, you know, a conference I'm chairing or presenting at, I'll, I'll talk about it. Is LinkedIn or, or Twitter or, or what else? Oh, I did use Twitter, but I um, prefer LinkedIn. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and it enables you to expand and reach. I'm really careful not to just except if you know like I don't want to accept everybody they've got to be connected to me somehow so it's a sort of strategic curated group it validates who I am it showcases what I think about things and brand me so it goes to that whole authenticity piece yeah yeah so I guess if you have a passion or an interest or a subject matter expertise and you can contribute that out, then use LinkedIn. But I think you have to be really focused mm. and you have to have a value proposition for the space. You have to know who, what it is that defines you, what's your difference. And, or, you know, you'll, you'll be talking about this to people all the time, but what value do I bring? And that's what I talk about on LinkedIn. I think you have to sort of promote yourself a bit in that space in that you have to be regular, talk about your ideas regularly. Yes. No, no, that's a great, that's exactly what I preach. So thank you for helping me. true and, oh, I, and I've been helped to do that yeah. too I would have I wouldn't have been that aware in an executive role because the thing is if you're if you and this is why I do hop between interim and and full-time yeah. work well permanent work I should say because I think that it opens you up to new ideas and how how to think of yourself differently yeah. it keeps you on your toes and I and I like that I like to be pushed into uncertainty and unknown and uncomfortable yeah, grow the best then. And you're you're in this for the long run, and you know that some opportunities take a lot of time to come to fruition. So having that yeah. regular, ongoing way of modus operandi, way of operating with your network, with your connections, your presence on LinkedIn certainly pays off over time. Let me ask you about advisory because you, when I sent you the brief, you said, oh, let's talk about advisory. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to explain what it what it is and how it works for you. So let me start by expanding or being clear about my portfolio because that will show the streams. Great. We've talked a lot about interim execs, so that's one line, and then the directorships are another line. And why directorships? Because they give you corporate governance. They teach you about how to interact with the board and what's what are the emerging trends in the sector and um, really good due diligence and some of the commercial realities of, you know, why boards and organisations have to do what they do. So rounding out to be an excellent general manager, really great CEO, you need to have the executive side, you need to have the directorship side. This is bearing in mind that to, when I end my days, I'll be a director. That was the plan. And then in COVID, I discovered advisory work. Now, how did you discover it? Did they come to you or did you find them? I'm going to say it was fortuitous because it happened in the same week. You know how sometimes you get the universal lines and you get this message right between the eyes that you haven't really picked up until it hits you? 
Yes. Yeah, so I was aware that there was this thing called advisor, but like many people, I thought they were accountants and lawyers that had set themselves up on the side giving advice to businesses, you know, like small business owners and things. And then I discovered a wonderful company called the Advisory Board Centre. And I've introduced them to Watermark and vice versa because the advisory space for a long time hasn't been fantastically mature. So the quality of the advisor in the advisor space is variable. And what has been going on for some time, and this is what I became aware of, is that there's been a best practice framework developing to improve the standards. So it's, it's, it's now qualification a bit like your AICD but for advisors. Now, the advisory space is quite different to the governance space. You are not a director, so you're not covered by fiduciary duties. You're not making decisions for the business. You're using your subject matter expertise to provide options that the business then decides what to do with. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an exciting space because a lot of the advisors in, in the network I am part of are actually really super clever people. Like they might have established their own business and and now are helping others do it or they've been or they're consultants or they're executives or, you know, a number of things, but they're just superb and so generous. But I think in the advisory space, you actually have to focus again. What's the size of the business that you want to play in? Is it the startup? Is it the growing you know, up to sort of that, there are natural breaks, you know, is it startup up to about 10 million? Is it 10 to 30? Is it 30 to 50? Is it 50 to 100 plus million turnover? Mm-hmm. They are really different needs. And what I um, have been doing as an HR practitioner all, all through my career is actually navigating business maturity, you know, taking a business from um, a certain size exploiting disruption in a market to 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 change the business to something new and then um moving it forward so when i when i was introduced to i suppose a more structured way of thinking about advisory work i went oh my goodness i i've been doing this all the time in a different way yeah okay and, and what is the engagement like Julia is it like a, a you an advisor as a retainer or is it like a point in time you step in and mm. just quickly advise and step out I'm trying to understand Very, the difference between advisory and entering and consulting oh look it's well consulting is about providing a solution and being paid for that work uh-huh. what you're doing um what you're doing as an advisor is understanding so I will do an assessment with the with the owner of the organisation to isolate down what the need is. So oftentimes they can't articulate. Well, they can, or don't, or the articulation of the of the challenge or or the problem is not necessarily all that clear. So we refine that down to what the spec actually is, the scope and scale of the piece of work. Yeah. It might be a project which will require a group of advisors for a specific period of time, you know, that's to introduce a new product to market or something. There'll be a specific thing. That's a growing area. Or it might be around um, scaling a business into a new 
market or a new size, that can take, you know, six months to a year to two years or plus. Yeah. It really depends. But the notion of an advisory board, if you like, um, or advisory space is that you are there for a finite period of time and you're working um, not every day. You might be working one day a week, one day a month on Mm -hmm. that. So you need to create a pipeline of work for yourself. Oh, I love it. I can see, like, as a former CEO, I would have loved to engage advisors at some yeah, point yeah. because it, there's a cost-benefit to it and yeah. you, you add more brain power very quickly. Yeah, um, and that brain power is so important when you're working. You know, I was in a small organization that had very big ambitions and very, how do I say, very prestigious stakeholders as in state government, federal government. So it's very hard to be in a micro-niche organization working with huge stakeholders in mm. you know that are invested in you you know mm. that created you in the first place mm. in the case of mm. the foundation I worked for so that advisory seems like a dream come true I wish yeah, I yeah. knew about it back then yeah, I'll actually yeah. let the, the current CEO know about it in case she needs it but you know I, yeah. I I love that and do you find that do you need to educate the market that this opportunity is out there and and ready for action or is there a market for it already both so it's a fairly new way it's not it's not new you know you've had um lawyers and accountants and people giving advice to businesses um in their professional capacity for for a long time what is new is this notion of bringing uh an advisory group together and i and i i utilize a um the an abridgment of a governance framework to do that so that you've got a charter you've got terms of reference you're not a shadow director right you are you know you are giving advice to a business around a particular thing. It's really important um, to educate the market about what the potential for the advisory space is because it is quite an emerging, particularly an emerging market if you're working with corporatized boards as well. So let's take the aged care space because I've worked in that space. Aged care as a sector has got a lot of challenges. If you are sitting on a corporatized board of an aged care organisation right now, it can be overwhelming to know what to do. Um, If you hire an advisory board, which is much, much cheaper and more cost-effective, by the way, than consulting. Mm-hmm. If you if you engage an advisory board to work on some options, for strategic options for you, um, even if it's around, you know, how do you implement some of the new aged care standards, like Standard 8, which is around governance and culture, is really complicated to trans- transfer down the business and back up. If you engage an advisory board to inform or give some um ideas to the to the corporatized board then that's going to fast track change a lot quicker than if you're you know, trying to do it all yourselves so clients that I've worked with in this space will quite quickly get at least a 30% jump on on turnover mm-hmm. they achieve their strategic objectives much faster and in a, and in a lot more control yeah. so it's really effective there's some um, there's some 
very solid data on it now, but it is it is a growing, it is definitely a growing space. And in the same way, I'd say that interim executive is maturing as a as a career option now. Um, oh, I, I love that we have all these options to mm. consider because I mm. think we, we need them at several points of our careers. And like you said before, it does this doesn't suit everyone. No. And I love how you explained it as you know, you are a business and you know doing that in in a very income generating way like thinking about your strategic planning and what you're moving towards I am dying to ask you what's next for you but before I, I ask that I'd love to know knowing what you know now and how the market has matured for these type of portfolio career executives what advice would you give somebody that believes that they're ready to embrace it well I think if you believe that you're ready to embrace it it's about just jumping in um because it doesn't matter if it doesn't work you know it's not going to be the end of the world if you turn around and go this isn't for me or I haven't quite got the the personal style to make that work that's fine because that's part of learning about yourself so I think you need to be very very commercial and view yourself as a business and keep a lot of plates spinning and if you enjoy that and get energy from it it's the most liberating thing that you can do but I think that you also oh the other thing that's really important is it suits women interim executive and advisory work really suits women particularly in executive women because all that gender stuff that you have to put up with, you are hired for your ability and your um, what you know and what you can do in a time and off you go. You're not hired for any other thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can cut through all of that really fast. Um, That's very interesting. It's really fascinating. Like I have not experienced it. You know, I, I, I've, I've occupied both spaces where I've been an, exec, an executive woman and an all-male executive mm-hmm. and, and in an all-male board mm-hmm. and, you know, really sort of like most women struggled to get my voice heard. That you will not experience in the exec space, in the interim exec and advisory space. If you do, it will be an, it will be an anomaly. Yeah, that's so interesting. And when you say test it out and if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, go back to, you know, full-time executive roles and that will be fine. How long do you think you need to test it out? Because it takes a while for you to mature in that space Mm. to get on top of mind of, let's say, the brokers. Do you think that there is a time frame or how would you judge when it's time to let go? Yeah, so the, the interim assignments are normally three to six months at a time. Sometimes they'll go longer because, Mm -hmm. you know, life happens for businesses, but normally they're three to six months. So I think that you would know within three to six months whether this is something that you want to then go and do a second assignment on. Mm-hmm. Call it your probationary period on yourself. I personally don't view the interim exec stream in my portfolio as sometimes thing to do. I want to be working 11 months of a year, mm-hmm. not three to six months. Some people that suits them fine, but I'm not at the end of days. And for me, the other thing too is that I raise my children on my own. Mm-hmm. And so I need to earn a crust and cover the costs. So some of that is about being practical and realistic, but I don't particularly want to wind down. I'm using this as a career development um, mm. it's very strategic and I think that if you 
you you will enter it for one of two reasons. Either you're doing it because you're doing what I'm doing or you're doing it because um, you're not ready to retire or you want to um, experiment with something. And that's fine. I, I think you'll know quite fast whether you like going into a business, having to achieve outcomes fast, get to know people fast, can you make an impact? Not everyone can arrive as a stranger, get people around them really fast and then keep working. Yeah. It has to suit your personality, right? It does, yeah. It has to suit your personality. And um, I would die a million deaths if I was in the other space where I had a long, slow build. I couldn't survive that. So you've got to know that about yourself going in. Sometimes the only reason you'll know that is when you try it. Yeah. So in terms of your career progression now, uh, having done this, built this great expertise and portfolio over time, do you see yourself moving towards that CEO role in the future? Yes. Yeah, so like that's... your amazing mentors told you so. <laughs> I've been waiting so many years to make those phone calls and go, I did it. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think so. And that's what I'm actively looking to do now. I think think COVID has given me a gift in a way in that all of that time in community health, community services and um, in acute health sector is actually lining up really well to be able to address all the challenges of that post our pandemic. So yes, I would like to spend um, my next, you know, part of my next, say, five to eight years in one or two CEO roles because um, the logic out of that will be that post that time, then I'm going back into portfolio. Yes. But at the same time, I'm not giving up my advisory. Yes, yes. And I'm not giving up my directorship. So it's like replacing an interim exec stream with permanent work for a bit but keeping the other things going. Mm-hmm. And the reason I would want to do that is because of the access to networks and new ways of thinking and adjunct sectors. It goes back to that where we started about that sense of design and proportion. You get you get ideas and stimulation from another sector and then you can go oh look at that I can apply that in this sector it just needs some tinkering around the edges oh I love that you know how you redesign things by taking you know you repurpose something from somewhere else and put it into a new way we'll put different things together in a new way and there whammo there's a new outfit Yes, no, that's absolutely right. And it keeps you way much more connected. And I find that that weave of jobs and advisory roles, board roles is much more better understood now by employers. So they know that if they want to hire great talent, hmm. they the talent will come with some strings attached hmm. and they'll hmm. be fine with it. Because there was a time back in the day, you may remember this, you would have to resign from everything. I don't think that happens anymore. Not well, as often. It, it depends, of course, if it's a government role or something, it may require you because of conflict yeah. of interest. But yeah. other than that, there is no reason. No, no. And you do have to be a little bit conscious. Um, well, not a little bit. You have to be very conscious of managing conflicts. And, um, and also, you know, in the advisory space, you need to be very aware of corporate governance so you don't become a shadow director. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is not something that you do if if this is the first time you're going into directorships or advisory space, you need to get some help so that you don't end up um, in a bit of a mess. But otherwise, I, I look, I do think that this is what we need to move away from is that perception, that myth 
that people that work like this um, can't hold down a permanent job or there's something wrong with their background or whatever, you know, negative Mm -hmm. stuff. And also people, when you go and see them, you know, as if you're interviewing for an interim exec job, you know, people say, well, how long are you doing this before, you know, for? There are some stereotypes that we're moving away from and actively moving away from, but I think that that's just going to take some time. And certainly the pandemic has um, really shifted people's views about work. About time. Yeah, about (laughs) value. Yeah, because my only commodity that um, I'm trading is time. I think it's a great um, look, as I say, it suits me really well. Yeah. But it is not for everybody. (laughs) I know. But that's why this episode is fantastic, because people can listen to it and understand what it really means to be a portfolio executive. And I thank you so much for Mm -hmm. making the time to share your experience and be so frank and open about it. You gave so many good recommendations and advice and I'm sure I'm going to get lots of feedback about this episode (laughs) and I'll let you know when I do because people often email me to say, oh, I love this one and do more, you know? And I think that um, they have been asking for more information about entering and what it is, you know, Um, very surprised that it even exists. So I'm so glad that we're doing Mm. the series and thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. And um, if you have clients that want to talk to me about, you know, my in more detail about the experience and the nuts and bolts of it then I'm really happy to to do that the only well I'll leave a link to your LinkedIn yeah. well thank you so much once again uh, it's a pleasure Renata lovely to see you